Ugh, I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed, so I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners, from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre- and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. 
Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we'll be talking about growing a healthy baby brain. As humans, we've got enormous energy-hungry brains made up of rare building blocks. How does your pregnant body and the placenta build your baby's brain from scratch? And what should you eat before, during, and after pregnancy to help it be the healthiest? Dr. Teresa Nesbitt has the answers. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be, as always. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for listening, for all the love you give the show, for your message, for your comments. And if you what you hear is helpful, please do take a few minutes to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on Facebook or on Google or tell your friends about it. Do do something. Share it with somebody. It really does help. And I am very grateful and appreciate it highly. All right. Today, I have the pleasure to be talking with Dr. Teresa Nesbitt, who is an obstetrician gynecologist with special training in maternal fetal medicine. Teresa promotes health and wellness for women with a focus on mothers, and she has a particular interest in brain growth and development. And she also has an interest in breastfeeding uh, because she observed that although many pregnant women plan to breastfeed, there are they're not really prepared to do so. So her interest in brain health, nutrition, and developmental kinesiology have also helped her to look at breastfeeding and human milk from a new perspective. So she's got a lot of a lot of dots being connected in very interesting ways. Teresa, it's lovely to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. This is fun. I'm so glad we could make it happen. So Jumping right into our topic today, usually when we talk about eating before, during, and after pregnancy, we tend to focus more on the benefits to the health of the mother and having a healthier pregnancy. But I love that you come at it from, you know, a different perspective that rightly considers when what pregnant women put in their mouths as the building blocks for their for their baby's health. What made you look at pregnancy nutrition in that way? And how does that change the eating recommendations for pregnant moms? Well, uh, I would say it's been kind of a long journey to start looking at it this way. I've developed over the years uh, a, a lot of interest in the field of evolutionary biology. So as we um, start to figure out uh, where human growth and development where we diverged, a big part of it is what has happened with our brain. And I started to look at what pregnancy actually is from through a completely different lens. So I have uh, been interested in helping women with their weight problems for a long time. That was the basis of my book. So one of the things I always saw was hormonally, women seem to have a lot more difficulty losing weight than men do. I hear you. (laughs) You know, almost all women will tell you, you know, if they go through the same uh, program and they'll often feel really guilty because they will, they say, well, I cheat more. So they blame themselves. But I actually think that they get a lot hungrier because nature really had to set women up that they had to build this truly astonishingly large brain from scratch in a very short period of time. So if you start looking at it from that perspective as what is nature interested for us as a species is that we should live long enough to reproduce and that we should be able to reproduce. So it's not so interested in individuals, but the whole process. And the brain is made of a lot of rare 
building blocks, so they aren't necessarily that easily found in nature. And it's also extremely costly in terms of how much energy and fuel and um, in the form of you know food that's been digested and oxygen. It's it's a big energy hog, like a Ferrari. So our brain weighs about two percent of our body at adulthood, but it's using it's using um, about about 25% of the available fuel and that's day and night all the time not just when you're thinking hard or exercising it's it's working all the time doing that and in a newborn baby uh, in the first month it could be up to 90% so they really um, that brain is growing and working and wiring up and this all just can't happen overnight it had to happen over a long period of time so I became very interested in what did mother nature give us to make sure that we could be the mothers to our babies and when we lived in this environment which the world was for most of the time where food was very likely to be seasonal and sporadic especially over the winter when we'd be pregnant and i like to study bears you know bears go into hibernation and they shut down kind of everything but they birth their young in there and actually start nursing two babies and come out all lean but their body was able to provide this nourishment to grow, grow a baby and start them and get this process kind of completed. So I just thought that was so fascinating. And um, obviously as an obstetrician, I guess I'm rambling on here a little bit, but as no, an no. obstetrician, uh, obviously women come to me and they want to know what to eat while they're pregnant. And so for a long time, I tried to tell them what to eat while they're pregnant. But, you know, women have a lot of cravings and food aversions, and pregnancy can actually be a difficult time. And so I realized as you start to um, think about when these nutrients are stored on mother's body and how they are hormonally locked down and released at the appropriate times. So puberty, we start to put on our curves. We start to put fat stores down that hold special brain-building fats sort of in storage. I call it the hope chest. So with no change in diet, you know, if you have a twin boy and a twin girl, when they when they hit puberty, the boy's going to get a lot leaner and the girl's going to get a lot fatter. And particularly in certain places, if she's well-nourished, she's going to put that weight on her hips and thighs and breasts. And that weight is in preparation for pregnancy and lactation. And that fat is actually contains a lot of these omega-3 fats that people have maybe heard about from fish oil and things like that, the brain-building fats. They are very, very vulnerable, so they're protected on our body for until it's time for them to be needed. So um, I started to tell moms instead of, uh, you know, don't fret too much about what you can't, what you what you're unable to do during pregnancy. They always are looking like, uh, I have to eat for two, I have to eat for the baby. And really, it's much more realistic. The baby's very small for a long time. It's much more realistic to think instead of the baby's eating from mom's plate, that she's eating from her pantry. She's eating from the food store she's put on her body because those are broken down, again, hormonally controlled, and the placenta helps decide what the baby is going to need, and that goes towards building this baby brain, which doesn't get very completed inside. We are very unique in the animal kingdom. Our brains grow for a very long time at a very rapid pace. So they grow 
rapidly for two years after birth and then continue to grow at a moderate rate for two more years after that. Most animals are finished with their brain growth pretty shortly after after they're born. Doesn't mm-hmm. They have very, very small and slow amount of brain growth after that. So, you know, that's our... That's what makes us human. So obviously we had to have a whole lot of things built into us to make it possible to be able to do that. And without in without uh, understanding that the world we live in today, our fat habitat where you can eat anywhere, anytime, anything basically, that just was a not really, that's nothing like the natural world at all. So our genes are not at that place right now. Right. It's the transition of, and, and you can see it in our Western culture versus other cultures that are still in a more um, sort of in tune with nature's and cycles and what's available out there, uh, that their their eating habits are very different. And, and not just their eating habits, but also their body shapes and how nature is storing stuff. Absolutely. Well, our diet that we eat um, now tends to be very inflammatory, which has a number of implications for everybody. Obviously, we're having a lot more chronic illness, but it it has big implications for um, women's reproductive health. Um, It can impair their fertility. It can make pregnancies more difficult. It can make weight gain a real problem. So um, gut health, all of these things, they're sort of big burgeoning fields right now, which is exciting to me because I have have, uh, what Dennis Miller likes to call OCD, ADHD, which means I'm currently obsessed with ever with whatever is distracting me at the moment. So I'm so interested in all this new stuff that's coming out. But it, but it, but it really goes to show. I've I've never been. Um, uh, I've always balanced the science and the sense, and always tried to keep in mind that science is really based on uh, to start with is these observations and hypotheses and there's no proof in science even though we cite these studies all the time they're not proof they're actually you're looking to support hypotheses or you're looking for things that tend to refute them and so that you can modify them so that they're always we're always getting closer to um better information all the time and i think um we really lose sight of that because with the publication of all these, you know, everyone could go on the internet and they want a definitive answer. And there just really isn't a definitive answer. And as far as eating, uh, how we are to eat before, during, and after pregnancy, well, humans really um, have evolved. You know, one of the things about our species is we're the most adaptable species on earth. That's what we're supposed to use our big brain for. So we can live all over the world in a lot of different environments and habitats and not just survive, but even thrive because we've been very clever about uh, finding and preparing and making foods that would maybe not be food, you know, cooking them and uh, detoxifying them and things like that. So we've done that over a long period of time and that adaptability really means built into us is we have a lot of adaptability. So moms tend to get, you know, they're, they just don't want to make a mistake. And I understand that. But it's unfortunate part of motherhood is that you sometimes have to just go on what you think is best. That's why I love your tagline to 
the Birthful podcast is to inform your intuition because that's what I think moms do. They have to gather information and then they just have to make the best decision that they can at that time and realize that sometimes we don't have all the information we would like to have at our disposal to do so. So I tend to look at this um, in a a very different way than a lot of people. I had an undergraduate degree. I did a lot of nutrition research. And when I went to medical school, we had very limited amount. And a lot of times uh, people will say, well, it's just a shame, you know, because doctors aren't taught anything about nutrition. And I can say, I had to take nutrition as an undergraduate and that's all I took. And basically that's all been thrown out. And I'm sort of glad I didn't get much nutrition in medical school because there wasn't really be time for it. It's something, we've gotten so much into nutrition and nutrients and so far away from food. And really we have to think that, you know, babies are made from they're not made by magic you know we have this idea sort of like you pop them in and you know like a cake in the oven and or a bun in the oven and it comes out and and it just something magical happens there we don't think the same thing of when we plant a seed out in the garden we know if it didn't get the if it's not planted where the sun is right for that particular seed if the soil isn't good if the amount of moisture isn't good you're going to have not necessarily a very good outcome but we tend to think that once a baby is planted in our uterus, everything, you know, everything sort of happens sort of magically because it's invisible to us. But, you know, babies aren't made from magic. They're made from mothers and mothers are made from food and the food that they ate and the food that their food ate, either whether they're, it's a plant that takes minerals from the soil and makes it into vitamins and antioxidants and fiber and things that we can use that way, whether it's an animal who um, has, you know, makes eggs and milk and obviously the animal where we used to eat nose to tail, which would be a lot more appropriate for helping with those building blocks because, of course, we're we're made from everything. So we've definitely moved away from that. So, uh, you know, people tend to think of animal products as like hamburger, like big hunks of muscle meat, which is really, you know, you only need really not that much of that, if at all. You you, you can get around it. I mean, there's there's very good strategies, but, but we would have used to used all of the animal, and if you think of all of the building blocks that go in, you know, things that go into different parts of the animal would be helpful for us in our body. Those are tend to be very similar. So thinking about the the moms that are listening out there, and you'd mentioned this new perspective of thinking of growing your baby's brain, and you mentioned the you know the fat that 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 stores in your body sort of for that need. Tell me more about what how do you help moms eat differently, and what should we be focusing on? It less that you know if it's less of don't do deli meats and don't do that and don't do this and you know, but more of a holistic idea i know proteins can be a really big um factor if we look at you know the 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 legacy of dr brewer and mm-hmm. all of that and helping have a healthier pregnancy um i think you could bring in a really interesting point with the fats and right now fats are such a big hot topic um and everybody's doing coco- coconut oil um yes. tell us bring all that together tell us a little bit about like what should moms eat then to well, go good baby brains there is 
definitely a, a fat explosion, like uh, so much in terms of research and what we're looking and and actually a lot of it has to do with what we're looking at at brain health because it's not a surprise to people that we're seeing with the children a lot more of what I would call these sort of soft neurologic problems like the autism and spectrum disorders and the ADHD and and also allergies and asthma sort of uh, those immune kind of things so we're we're looking at a lot of these but um one of the things that's been looked at in brain health is to go back to uh, some of these older diets, like the Brewer diet with the more protein during pregnancy. And for um, uh, children and even adults that have uh, problems with their brain, the first this was looked at, like epilepsy, is to go on a ketogenic diet, which is a very high-fat diet. And that's actually sort of spread out and being used uh, in a variety of circumstances. And what we have to look at is the fats that we are eating have changed dramatically. So um, I definitely think it's great to include what I call to be good fats in your diet. And I think it's even more important. It's probably my number one rule as far as uh, helping. uh, Well, we had scheduled this to be the flat tummy mummy talk talk that I had afterwards is it um, that I think that um, uh, women have really struggled a lot with their weight because of uh, I think a big factor has been this emphasis on vegetable seed oils that are pretty much mostly in processed food but you know they give food palatability and things the the hard healthy oils they come from you know that's corn oil uh, soybean oil canola oil you know, vegetable seed oil, um, cotton seed oil, that's what Crisco is, that's hydrogenated cotton seed oil. And these oils are industrially produced and much cheaper. And when I was saying that what we need for our brain health is we need these omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids. So we need just, what we've eaten as a traditional diet would be, we needed some of these very long chain, uh, flexible fluid, um, uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids. We call them PUFAs. That's the... What do you call it? Poof? PUFA. P-U-F-A. Polyunsaturated fatty acid, which is a big mouthful, so I like PUFA. Yeah. So the PUFAs, which are long and unsaturated, means that, you know, what does that mean? Well, it means that stuff can stick to them pretty easily. I call them the empty suitcases. So they are very vulnerable to becoming damaged by things. So people would know is like these um, are oils. That's how one of the ways you would know them. If you put them in the refrigerator, an unsaturated um, oil will stay liquid. A partially saturated, like olive oil, if you put olive oil in the refrigerator, it turns thickish and kind of milky looking. Um and butter has a lot of monosaturates in it too. And then the solids at room temperature that you find with various animal fats and coconut oil being saturated, um, these uh, these fats are very stable and solid at room temperature. So what we have really done is say saturated fats are really bad. And the problem Um, Adriana with the saturated fats are bad is we study things in the laboratory. So we have taken a lot of like what we have done is taken Crisco basically. We've taken 
oils, vegetable seed oils that are very high in omega-6 PUFAs as opposed to the omega-3, which are the brain-building kind. The omega-6s were very helpful to us for a long time because they're good for inflammation and infection. So when a big threat to our survival was, you know, things, you know, injuries and things getting infected and infectious diseases when we started to get in more crowded living circumstances, we they're very handy to have both. But now we've gone from having a small balance of these two, about one to one or maybe two to one of the six to three, to having 20 to 25 to one of these inflammatory omega-6s that we have from the vegetable seed oils because they're so inexpensive. They're industrially produced, so they need a lot of heat and a lot of pressure. And they don't go bad the way the omega-3s do. So you can you can use them to give a lot of stable shelf life to the food. And of course, we've labeled them as heart healthy, so we eat them on salads. And we've been eating a lot of these these um, this vegetable seed oil. And so as far as what I give people, I like to tell like little stories that give a picture because I think it's easier to remember, is when a plant needs to make their next generation. You know, plant is a living thing. So the plant um, is able to make their own fuel um, by using energy from the sun that they can convert as long as they have these green leaves. By And so they uh, make their next generation in a seed, which has a little droplet of oil because fats and oils, you they're very high calorie. We already know that. Dense, and that can stay inside that little seed until it's ready to germinate and make its own leaves. So it's sort of what the parent left behind for the baby to get to the next generation. Well, the thing is that that's all well and good, and certainly plant foods are great for us and things like that, but plants don't have a brain or a nervous system. So they are not going to be very high in these brain-building and nervous system-building building blocks because fats are both building blocks and fuel. We tend to think of fat as just fuel, the fat that you can pinch on your body, the adipose tissue that could be burned for energy. But it is also very important building blocks. The brain's about two-thirds fat, and every cell in our body is surrounded by a two-layer fat membrane, a, we call it a lipid bilayer, these and, and those cells have to be very flexible and fluid to be able to be listening to hormones and responding to the environment. And so we need a really healthy cell membrane. And the, our current diet, the building blocks that we put in, our body will use what's available. But it is strayed far away from what is optimum. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. 
basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com. Or look for it at Amazon.com. So talking about actual foods, what are these things that are more beneficial and that we should be looking at, looking to eat? Well, I would say if so looking to eat for um, to have healthy fats on your body is that you want to have uh, uh, a lot of times people will understand or have heard to take the fish oil. But the 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 what we're really is more important is this ratio of the threes to sixes. And I always say is like look to where the money's coming in because they can sell you the fish oil, but they can't sell you what you don't eat. So what I really encourage first is to cut back on processed foods and these um, vegetable seed oils and substitute olive oil if you need it that way and for cooking to use um, the more traditional fats like the coconut oil which I think is amazing which has the same fat as breast milk in it and uh, grass-fed butter is really like medicine it's very good butter is sort of an in-betweenish sort of thing because the animal fats are only as good as the diet that the animal ate so this is where we can also get some of our conflicting 
research. It's not so much that it's bad. It's just it's not that as good. Um, ghee, uh, which is used, um, is a very stable. It's like butter that's had the milk solids removed from it. So it stays stable in a jar for a really long time. Um, in fact, when you look at the Indian pictures, I love them because Krishna was the butter-eating baby, and he's always got his, his this big, chubby baby, mm-hmm. which is very important for baby health because that baby chubbiness is there to protect that brain growth. But he's got his hand in the ghee jar all the time, eating the, eating the ghee. Uh, that's a good choice. The Some of the other oils are like the avocado. The avocados are great on their own, or avocado oil or macadamia nut oil. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people who are moving to the fats that we ate before, particularly when they are kind of involved with where their animal products are coming from. So they're starting to eat lard from pigs that are raised out in the sunshine, which has tons of vitamin D in it and things. So it's it, this is a really long process. It sounds really intimidating. I think it kind of needs to be taken little steps at a time. And I ne- I want mothers to understand that nature is looking out for your baby and that the placenta helps and the milk helps too to skim the cream, as I said, off of what's in your body and stored and micronutrients and help get them to the baby, that what women should be thinking of is really about stocking and replenishing their pantry. So it isn't about eating for two. It's about eating for you. Does that that make sense? Yeah. And it's about, you know, the healthier things you put into your body, the healthier things that will be get to your baby both whether you know in utero through the placenta or if you're breastfeeding afterwards and it kind of I don't know if it's a crude analogy but it it reminded me when you were talking about the grass-fed butter and that it's only you know the the oil is only as good as the animal that produced that so whatever their diet was it's kind of like well, mom's eating that filter for baby, so the nutrients that baby will get are only as good as the nutrients that mom put in her mouth. That's absolutely true. And if we go to that to the brain, the big brain nutrients, uh, then let's go back to that PUFA that's called DHA. Um, it's not really necessary to know the big, long name of it. We can't make it. We have to eat it. And... If uh, we go back to our little seed that we had before, the the only active thing a plant ever needs to do, like I said, it doesn't have, need a brain or it doesn't need a brain or nervous system, is it captures sunlight. And in that uh, leaf is an ability that the plant has to convert an omega six fatty acid to an omega three fatty acid. So in fast growing leaves or in leaves, there's small amounts of these omega-3s. And this is why people have heard um, that it's uh, from, it's so high in fish, which it is. It, that's uh, by far um, the uh, most concentrated source. Right now we're getting um, to where that came from and and have a very good uh, vegetarian alternative. Because if you think about what fish need to do, you know, they, those, I to, I, as I said, sorry, as I said, the omega-3 fatty acids are very vulnerable. That's why they're stored and protected on our body. They can easily be damaged and um, with light, oxygen. Everybody knows when you put a fish out on the counter, it starts to 
degrade and stink right away. Mm -hmm. And actually really nice leafy vegetables like spinach and things, although they're changing these, hybridizing them, change them, is they wilt really fast. And that's because of the omega-3s that are in there. The sixes are more stable. But if you think about what a fish would need to stay um, nice and flexible, even in the cold under the water, they need more of those those long chain poofas. Like I said, that would be still flexible in the refrigerator. So they're eating seaweed, which makes sense that in the dark, they'd have to have, to get that photosynthesis from the sun, they'd have to have lots of oomph in their omega-3s, and that's what the fish eat, and then some fish eat the other fish. But this is where we're finding those really great brain-building nutrients. It all starts with the the grass, but you'd have to eat a lot of it. So the fish are getting the better concentration of that DHA, that brain-building special fat, because it's in a lot higher concentration in in the underwater where it's dark and they have to work a lot harder. Mm-hmm. So fish is, um, so wild-caught fish, unfortunately, not wild-caught fish is often fed grain. So they are as bad as our cows are right now. They're not eating so, the seaweed. <laughs> so, you know, and people are like, and there's like, and you know, wild-caught salmon is very expensive, but sardines are very cheap. But a lot of pregnant women, especially, they're not too interested in eating sardines if they haven't had them before. Um, but it's a great food to kind of get used to. It's herring and sardines. Those are very inexpensive, and they've got great sources of because they are feeding directly on the on the sea grasses and things like that. Uh, and that is a that's a really good source. And also, they have a great source of iodine. Iodine is very very important for brain health and development. We're running back into a problem we haven't seen for a long time, which is the iodine deficiency and thyroid problems in mothers because we had we had, had problems with it and we subsidized the salt, but now we've eat, we're eating a lot less salt and the processed food that has salt in it doesn't use iodized salt. So we're seeing suboptimal thyroid and iodine. And this is another really important brain building nutrient. I was very distressed to find that uh, iodine isn't included in quite a a lot of the prenatal vitamins. And and actually it was, there was less iodine in, even even though it's in the recommendations by the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology to have this, the prenatal vitamins, the prescription prenatals had even less iodine in it. So kelp and seaweed those are things i kind of recommend as good snacks for women of all reproductive age and so would that be the like you mentioned having a vegetarian alternative for the omega-3s or or i guess vegan right yeah it, it would be um the algal form of dha so so the difficulty that we've seen um adriana is that um one of the things in a laboratory, people make assumptions that everyone is the same. One of the things we're finding out is there's a great deal of individual variation um, among women of how well they are able to take precursors, which is what is usually what we're given, and then they're labeled as fully formed, like we take folic acid. But folic acid is not what our body uses to um, as th- this this important 
prenatal vitamin. We can, there is no folic acid in nature, it's synthetic. So that we take the folic acid and by a series of steps, it's converted to a form of folate that can be used by the cells. But not everybody converts it at the same rate. And not everybody converts the animal forms of omega-3s to a, the kind that we can use for brain-building fats. But it looks like this algal form of DHA looks really promising. So I think that's 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 looking good for the future for us. And Is it's there... obviously that's what they're using in the infant formula uh-huh. and things now too. They needed something that is stable enough and inexpensive enough and consistent enough, but they've made great progress with this. So um, and they're always trying to make great progress and we're getting better all the time. But Mother Nature has a reason for some of these plans. So I usually just go back and say, well, why might this be and how can we go about trying to do it that way? Is there, in terms of the kelp and the seaweed, just like with the fish, it's better to have it be wild-caught fish? Are there any specifications, anything for people to look look out for in terms of the where they're getting their seaweed or how it's labeled? Well, the iodine's a little bit tricky. Um, usually what I recommend is the just a, a high-quality kelp, and you can use it like to shake it on your food, like a seasoning. And I also like the sea snacks that are, uh, those are usually, you know, they're, com- they're crunchy mm-hmm. and they're very palatable. So people tend to like them. But iodine isn't really well measured and it's uh, in these things. And iodine substitutes for things and the amount that we need, it's, it's still pretty controversial. At the same time, we've had this huge upswing in a autoimmune thyroid disease in women called Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And if you, uh, a lot of women are getting tested during pregnancy to make sure their thyroid function is is good, which is probably a very good idea because if it's suboptimal, the baby's brain growth can be compromised. But you don't want to be taking too much iodine on top of something that it, it can be like putting gasoline on the fire because they're taking it up and and using it to sort of fight the thyroid gland at the same time. So generally speaking, you know, you don't want to overdo any of these things. You're safer with food sources than you are with medicinal or synthetic sources because the body is able to um, to read these and take them in in combination with other foods, which make uh, absorption more natural. And a lot of things are paired. So a lot of things that we would take in supplement form are not paired the way our gut would say, well, I will take this in with this. The, res- the, the way they're transported across the cell is in conjunction. So the, in, in our bodies, balance is more important than these strict RDA guidelines, which are really looking for deficiency diseases, not for optimal health. So that's why... Um, you know, one of my superfoods that I really like, and people say, like, well, what do you think are superfoods for pregnancy before is, I would definitely have to say liver is right at the top of my list for a number of reasons. A lot of times people think livers are toxic because that's where the detoxification takes place. But that's really where all the minerals and things are that does the detoxification. And a lot of people don't like liver because we haven't grown up eating it. But they make 
that you can get a very good sources of the freeze dried liver capsules, which is just the same as liver, so you don't have to taste it. And one of the side benefits of that is uh, a lot of moms don't know, but your baby's nose is being bathed with your amniotic fluid to learn about what food likings and dislikings. So you might not like liver, but you can help your baby if you take even the freeze dried liver when they're when you're pregnant or when you're breastfeeding because those chemicals go and help the baby's brain understand that's a familiar and safe food. Those food likings, a lot of really good research has been done by that in Philadelphia by uh, someone named Julie Manella. She's done really, really great work with that. And that's another great reason why you should eat all kinds of, like, eat a rainbow, all kinds of whole foods, non-processed, eat the good stuff, because then your baby will get a taste for it, and it'll be easier to get them to eat their vegetables <laughs> It's afterwards. the easiest <laughs> way to avoid a picky eater, or as I say, a careful eater, because, you know, everybody, we all know that little ones like to put things in their mouth, and so... You know, it's uh, a big part of food learning is to explore and play with food and spit it out because there would have been a lot of things that you'd put in your mouth that could maybe look like they would be food, but they would be not so good for you. So it's a, it's a process where we learn what are safe foods, but the very first way that we learn is by those um, chemical compounds that are there. And that is what I consider to be one of the huge benefits of breast milk too because the baby's just getting a brain education because all this milk is contains these volatile compounds of what is in the mother's diet, which is liberalized a lot. And also she has a lot less food aversions and things like that afterwards. So you can do a lot of that after the baby's born. And, and I think that the one point I wanted to get across in talking today was moms get very, very anxious during pregnancy about, you know, what am I doing? What's going on with the baby? And I think that nature has made the sort of general rules is you prepare your body for pregnancy and that actually helps your fertility. So when you're fertile, it's nature's way sort of saying, well, it looks like your pantry's fairly well stocked, ready to build a baby brain from scratch. Then during pregnancy, cravings and aversions become a, a big deal. And I think that it's reasonable to say that our fast-growing and very large brain is also a very delicate and vulnerable brain, vulnerable brain compared to other species. So I am not surprised that nature would put in aversions to a lot of things just to make sure that we are extra special about avoiding toxins, the, especially smell. You know, moms have a terrible problem with morning sickness or all-day sickness, as they sometimes have, and it doesn't necessarily – it actually isn't confined just to the first trimester. It's much more likely to go on about four, four to five months, and for some women it goes on through their whole pregnancy. But a lot of them have this real sensitivity to smell triggers and things like that that um, – is nature's way probably of helping them avoid the things you don't want to be there. And I think that's a big emphasis in the, in the, during pregnancy. During the latter half of pregnancy, that's when the brain growth starts to pick up. And that would be the time that I would probably say if moms, you know, if I push them to try and eat something for the baby, what they're doing right then is to, because their own diet might have been maybe deficient in these brain building fats is to try and get the the DHA in through 
the wild-caught fish, the fish oil, get the omega-6s down, use coconut oil, olive oil, the more natural fats to um, prepare your food. And that's usually the time the appetite's starting to get a little bit better, too. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned morning sickness. Do you have any any helpful tips to try to minimize that? That are things that can help moms? Morning sickness is really variable, obviously, although women who've had it in one pregnancy tend to get it in another. It can become really severe and turn into like hyperemesis um, gravidarum, which is a disease. But that's not so common. But morning sickness with nausea and often accompanied by vomiting is very common. So I do have some really I think quite helpful tips. So here are my big three. My big, my first one is smell is the trigger. So figure out what's bothering you, what's bothering you the most, and try and avoid. A lot of times, it's the food preparation and things like that. So get away from the smells that are bothering you, if even if they're smells from other people, um, perfumes and things like that. They can be really, really stressful. So the whole nervous system is. All this uh, stress hormone stuff of pregnancy is amping um, things up. Now, my go-to thing, my grandmother actually taught me, and I never learned it in medical school. It's starting to come back again, but people would laugh because they would go, oh, Dr. Nesbitt or Dr. Teresa must be your doctor because I believe that lemons are, they don't work for absolutely everybody, but they work for a lot of women that you cut up lemons, you can sniff them in the bag, you can suck on them, whatever it is that your body tells you you want to do. The lemons kind of cut through that odor. So um, keep those in the baggie or you can keep them in your water because you can have very, very cold water is something. Um, Sometimes the only thing, a lot of pregnant women don't like plain water at all, but they could put a little squeeze of lemon in it and if it's really cold or lemonade with the sweetness in it, Uh, Those are really, really good. Now, my main thing is something I'm very interested in, which would be a supplement, uh, which I think is an important supplement. I don't, um, for everybody. It's the only supplement that I recommend to everybody all over, except people who have so bad kidney disease, they need dialysis, which is magnesium. So magnesium was pretty common in our environment in our food. It's gone way down. We are taking in a lot more calcium. Those are supposed to be imbalanced. And magnesium will help move your digestive tract along. So if for women who are having um, nausea and vomiting and they can't take the magnesium, the, the brand I recommend is made by Jigsaw Health because it has the fully formed B vitamins in it, the fully formed folate, as I said, not folic acid, but the folate, which also helps with nausea. So it's Jigsaw Health. It's a sustained release magnesium. So it doesn't give you the problems with uh, the loose bowels that most magnesium supplements will because they're a lot cheaper. So magnesium will help uh, with a lot of reactions in your body, but in particular, it helps with muscle relaxation. So it it's great for those leg cramps and things like that. And it will help your bowel fully relax so that it can contract and get good forward wave-like movement, which is a lot of what's happening with pregnant women is everything's sort of stalled. 
Now, for women who can't take those pills, they can use Epsom salt baths or they can use, um, it's called magnesium oil. It's actually magnesium brine. So it's just a salt solution of magnesium chloride uh, in a spray bottle or the Epsom salts is magnesium sulfate. And you can spray that on your body or on your feet and things like that. And pregnant women, I, you know, it, it, it gives them a lot of relief. So then the other one that seems to give, uh, like with lemons, is the ginger. That it varies, but the candied pieces of ginger can be very settling to your stomach. Otherwise, it's kind of individual. Were those helpful, do you think? Absolutely. I'm taking notes like crazy. I didn't know about the lemons and I did not know about the magnesium so much, although that rings some bells. Would a magnesium supplement be helpful, do you think, to most people, pregnant or not? I I am like a fiend about magnesium. It's literally a joke because people go, it's like, oh, don't tell me the magnesium. But it, it has helped so many people with, so, you know, uh, it, 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 it's such a problem with deficiency. So I see is like irregular heartbeats and the crampy toes or fingers and things like that, that I will, uh, constipation, uh, um, jittery nerves, insomnia, really it's this balance. So we've gotten so much less magnesium in our system and it competes with the calcium. So a lot of times when we eat things like yogurt and things, we're getting many, many more times calcium to magnesium. And women are taking calcium because they think, well, it's really good for their bones, but your bones are not made of calcium. That's a piece of chalk. And if you dropped a piece of chalk, it would shatter. It'd be brittle. If you drop a piano key, which is like bone from a tusk, that has a lot more, it has the uh, 12 other minerals, but in particular, it has this magnesium, which gives it a lot of strength and elasticity. So I recommend magnesium. And I really like this brand because uh, a lot of problems that people have had when they've taken mag magnesium as a supplement in taking magnesium chloride or magnesium citrate is these are laxatives. If the magnesium, which is a you know, a mineral doesn't get absorbed completely. What gets to your colon will pull water in and will call, cause cramping and diarrhea. So I really do like these more, this sustained release. Um, and we're getting more of that available all the time. And for people who don't tolerate it orally, I mean, I take it, my husband takes it, he has that restless leg syndrome. Uh -huh. And if he doesn't spray the spray on as well as what he takes, I know instantly that he did not use his magnesium. You know, it, because he starts to kick. And um, so I go, did you forget to do your magnesium? Which is he just sprays it on for when he goes in and before he takes a shower, he just sprays it on and then showers after 20 minutes. It can leave a little bit of a residue on your skin like you've been swimming in the ocean, like that sort of frosty, salty feeling. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it's fully absorbed after about 20 minutes. So you can just, you know, rinse it off after that time. Um and I think, uh, you know, I think that it's, I've seen pregnant women get a lot of relief from their constipation problems, from their, um, from the morning sickness, from those leg cramps and foot cramps, which can be hell. Uh, so I really, really like it a lot. And this, as an obstetrician, I haven't practiced I haven't had an active medical practice for a long time, but 
it's kind of a joke amongst the obstetricians because we use magnesium for the two biggest uh, complications of pregnancy, preterm labor and preeclampsia. So it's used for seizure prevention in women who have preeclampsia, which is a disorder that is characterized by your blood vessels spasming all over your body. Um, so you're not getting good blood flow to your brain. You're not getting good blood flow to the baby. Um, and that poor blood flow to the brain can cause seizures. So we gave magnesium and the neurologists always say, why would you do that? You know, why don't you give a anti-seizure medication? And we're like, well, it works. And we're, it's always like, well, those dumb obstetricians, you know. But now they have found by looking at over years that the outcomes for the babies where the mothers actually got the magnesium because it improved perfusion through the placenta and things like that, um, they have better neurologic outcomes than the mothers who didn't. So I think that they're probably going to, we're going to find more about magnesium in pregnancy as we sort of figure out the best way to go about doing this. But just from a point of view of being a normal, regular human being that needs to live in, in an environment and eat food that would normally be there, I think that it's just extremely hard to get magnesium. So it's the one thing I recommend everyone take as a supplement. Even, including pregnant women. And if you can't tolerate it, or even if you're still having problems, especially like those muscle muscle cramping problems, and of course the uterus is a muscle. That was why we use it for preterm labor. That's a drip that you can get on magnesium sulfate, not the oral, but the IV, is that it helps relax. I think it helps make the uterus less irritable. That's not the same as labor. That's irritability, but a lot of women can experience that with a variety of things. Yeah. And of course, we're going to remind people to double check this with their care provider to make sure Absolutely. that they're, Absolutely. you know, and, and, and just to get that double safety, but look at it. If you're, if you're having issues, it can really, with the, you know, this, that would be great for the morning sickness. Right. Um, if the, if the, 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 the thing is, is you're always going to be fine if you use the spray. It's not going to absorb through your body any more than you can take in. So um, that is clearly the safest route. Uh, so if someone, uh, their care provider doesn't want them to take the magnesium, uh, the magnesium supplement, or they feel they get enough in their prenatal vitamins, but again, it's just a poorly absorbed fine. Uh, you know, talk to your talk to your prenatal care provider, but the spray or the Epsom salt baths, making Epsom salt and just soaking your feet in it, this is a time-tested technique and you're not going to absorb more through your skin. You know, it just reaches saturation point. It won't go across more than you can, can't get to that level. I, one of the reasons I liked magnesium so much is it's very, very safe. As I said, it's safe um, for anyone who doesn't, you know, if you have really bad kidney disease, then that's what magnesium measurements are for. One of the reasons we've gotten into uh, challenges with magnesium is it's uh, a blood test, but the blood test is for people who are on dialysis to see if, if that level got um, is so high that they need, it is an indication for dialysis. Because it's not an extracellular, because it's not in the bloodstream, it's inside the cells, the measurements we get from our blood test are not very accurate indication of what our actual magnesium levels are. So generally, we do, you know, people do, the their dose is titrated to relief of symptoms. And we did that even when we're using it for the 
preterm labor or preeclampsia, you'd like check reflexes and um, you'd just look for the uterine irritability and things like that. So we were looking to see where the the spot is because the body stores are going to vary dramatically from woman to woman. Mm-hmm. And Teresa, you mentioned the lots of inflammatory foods that we're eating. What are some of those that is would be good for everybody, and especially pregnant women, to kind of stay away from? Well, you know, the, at the as I said, it's it's it, it can be very challenging during pregnancy because sometimes you just you have just a few things that you're willing to eat. And a lot, you know, women who go in and say, oh my God, I loved, you know, as a total carnivore, I loved grilled meats and things like that. They don't want anything to do with it. They do not want to eat vegetables. The smell seems sulfurous and pungent. But um, basically, I try and have people stay away from as, you know, try and eat real food if you can. Fruit is something that can create, uh, you know, because it's got a lot of sugar in it. So sometimes it's uh, a problem for women at other times because of it can make your sweet tooth worse and maybe make you gain a little more weight than you would want to because of that sweet tooth. But, you know, it's often very well tolerated in pregnancy. Uh, Definitely try to go the organic route while you're pregnant. So you're limiting the pesticides, and also you're increasing the vitamins and minerals and antioxidants because all those um, plants and animals had to work extra special hard to, we didn't help them out, you know, to overcome problems in the environment. So they have, they're more nutrient dense as well as less pesticide dense. Um, so eating real food, eating a variety of food, eating the colors of the rainbow, shopping the grocery store around the perimeters. So I'm not a big label reader. I say try and find foods that don't have labels on them in general because labels are often like advertisements. But, you know, it, sometimes it's just uh, it's just it's just a bit challenging to get started on these. And that is why I try and make sure that all moms know that if you're looking at building a baby brain, the period of brain growth, the brain's going to get four times larger in size after the baby's born. And breast milk is brain juice. And your food tolerances will be up. You'll have lots more variety that you can take in that, you know, you don't have to worry so much as you did when you were pregnant. And it really is this amazing strategy that only humans take advantage of is we take advantage of a very long gestational period like the other primates, but we have our, – our babies are very, very immature, and they use milk as the building blocks for their brain growth for years after they're born. So I'm a big, say, just try and get through, do the best you can, um, and uh, nurse your baby. Mm-hmm. And that's where, I mean, we, that's, a, that's a whole nother program of the difficulties of breastfeeding and, and the support you need and all that. But do look for a certain, for an IBCLC, a lactation consultant, to help you out right away if you're having any problems before they escalate into, you know, just from a transfer problem to, or a latch problem to a transfer problem and a milk supply problem, and things can get out of hand quite quick. So, if if you think if it's hurting 
get some help if you, you know. Well, if- that's like, that's my total, com- that's my passion these days. I was happy <laughs> to do this, this uh, talk for you. And obviously I've been working on this and it's just so much little pieces of information. But um, the pro- the natural breastfeeding that um, Nancy Moorbach and I collaborated on it, and we did all those, we did a lot of videos because that's what moms need to actually see up close is, I was so upset because so many moms that plan to breastfeed, um, they 96% of them get are just struck with pretty serious problems in the first week or two mm-hmm. of the nipple pain or worry about milk production or latching difficulties. And so we sort of came up with a training wheels way of going about it to help get started easy. And it, it's very easy to learn from watching the videos and things. So um, I just feel so good about it. I just feel like it's most it's to me it's the most important thing i've ever done because it really helps these moms who wanted to so badly it gives them the tools we've done such a great job at motivating women to want to do it to look at the benefits or some people say the risks of formula feeding and things but a lot of these moms are really struggling and they're not prepared and um they don't have the support around them so if we can make it a lot easier for uh, things to go smoothly with less bumps in the road, it makes a huge difference of getting breastfeeding off to a good start, an absolutely. easy start. Yeah, a and painless I, start. A painless start. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I really like the approach that you guys take. I mean, Nancy's fantastic. You're fantastic on, on the natural breastfeeding, which has that emphasis also on like the baby's own instincts and letting the baby do it and that laid back breastfeeding that that some people have you know it it ties into it where if you like I have to tell you this great story of of and and um, we're like over time but I'm going to tell the story anyway (laughs) of I was at a birth recently um and this baby was bundled up super burrito right and totally asleep and had just been born so I came in and said as part of what I do as a doula is to help establish breastfeeding during that first golden hour because there's so many things that happen that are perfectly primed at that time Mm -hmm. for it. So I asked mom, would you like to just do skin to skin and see if baby wants to breastfeed? Sure. So we unbundle and it was one swaddle, two swaddles, three swaddled. And finally we found a baby and baby's very sleepy and, and, and goes on mom's breast and it took a while. It took about 20 minutes, half an hour. But that baby, just by being skin to skin, started waking up, opening her eyes, licking, bobbing her head, looking for it, and then was having a little bit of trouble latching. And then we did a little bit of hand expressing so mom could grab that golden colostrum on her fingertip mm-hmm. and put it into baby's um, mouth and baby was like, oh, this is really, mm. and then that like jump started stuff. It's like, I want more of this. And then after that, she got her latch and it had been a good almost two hours after she was born. Well, birth is, uh, you know, birth is a lot to go through. So they do need their little recovery period. And obviously the things that happen during the birth process can sometimes slow this down medications and things like that but all the right stuff is there and it's the perfect habitat right on top of mom like that and uh you know it's so amazing when women can see the breast crawl like that when they can see what babies are actually capable of and i said well you know 
it's not so surprising when you see what a baby kangaroo that looks like a lima bean is capable of coming out and going all the way up and around and into the pouch right. without mom having any hands or anything to help. They just kind of lick a trail for them to but wiggle along because they just look like a little blob. Mm-hmm. And uh, our babies are helpless, but they're not completely helpless. They have just what they need, but, you know, it's a little bit of helping moms and babies get together because, you you know, um, I started off my job working in zoo. This is kind of where I get interested in all this animal and evolutionary biology thing. And I tell people all the time now, you know, we're like apes raised in captivity. We haven't seen things, just so we have the same problem that the other primates do, is we've just not been exposed to um, these normal processes that women, for all of our history as human beings, that would have just have been a normal part of everyone's life and growing up. They would have just seen it, and we don't see it anymore. Many, many mothers I ask when they're pregnant, like they plan to breastfeed, but they say, I said, have you ever seen a baby? Have you ever seen a baby under a month old actually breastfeeding? Not under a cover, but like actually seen it up close and personal and almost none of them have i was like that too Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how i got interested in is like i didn't want people to go through what i did absolutely so if people want to check out the videos and know more of what you're doing with the natural breastfeeding how can they do that uh you can go to um www.naturalbreastfeeding.com and you can also go to nancy morbacher's youtube um channel we have a number of them on there i know that diane Weisinger was on recently and she we're we're getting ready to do a big overhaul of the site and make a lot more available for uh for free for those as far as the eating before during and after pregnancy i'm working on that book right now i was happy to talk about it today but i don't really have anything available for that yet that hope that's probably going to be it by the I'm hoping by the end of this year. So And people can always call you for consults too, right? Mm, no. <laughs> not really. No. So I, we'll I, wait for the book then. You have to kind of wait for that and like I'm starting to do more talks and things like that. So they've been at like I did a eating before, you know, I did one for gold lactation and things. Um, I'm going to start uh, I have the Dr. Teresa, www.drteresa.com and I'm going to start putting more out there in terms of the eating because we have I have the flat tummy mummy launches coming out in August so a lot of it will all hook together and I just really want to make the information more available so I spend so much time kind of generating the content it's hard to I don't see patients on a one-to-one basis anymore I still do see some people but not the not I don't have a official practice right anymore I do women's wellness and generating these sort of online programs and things like that to sort of help women across all ages and stages. It's just, I find, I found my landing spot, Adriana. This is, this is where I'm, this is where I'm comfortable. It's what I like doing and it's always fun, something new every day. And I think it just helps just a, sort of the summary of today is is that we're you know we're built to be able to do this. We're built to survive in a lot of habitats. The habitat of today's environment it's challenging, and we're learning about it still. But we'll find our way through this too. And so, I just encourage moms to, um, you know, eat well for themselves. 
that's really what it's more about. I, they, they're very focused on the baby at that time, but if they have, if a well-nourished mama is what makes a well-nourished baby. I love that. Eat well for yourself. Perfect. That'll build a good pantry. <laughs> Absolutely. And restock it after you've had one. So you got good stuff for the next one. Absolutely. Teresa, thank you so, so much for being a part of this. And, and it was lovely to talk to you today. Thank you very much. Mighty Ones, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, send me messages and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. To best support this podcast, support its sponsors and get discounts while you're at it. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Sabrisky. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.